Welcome back to Beyond the Sectors, your bi-monthly podcast all about the beyond world of author duo Kit Roca. My name is Chelsea. And I'm Anna. And today, friends, we are going to finish up talking about most of, because I skipped one, the Beyond HEA uh, short stories that are available on Kit Roca's website that are specifically to only what we've read so far in terms of the novels. There's another chunk that takes place after the Gideon's Rider books, and we'll be talking about those when we get to them. Uh, But today, we're going to start out talking about Efficient, which is a Mia and Ford vignette, uh, basically in which Mia, our lovely, efficient-brained, technology-savvy, you know gruff boss leader whipping Mia is too overwhelmed by all the efficiency in the new district she's working. It's suddenly, it's too fast. It's too clean. She's missing some of those rougher edges and some of those, um, you know, imperfections that make something into perfect. Yes. Yes. So yes, Mia is one of my favorite characters and this is one of my favorite couples. So I love checking in with them again now that they're the king and queen of sector eight. And yes, they are kings and queens of efficiency. They've they've played with those factories, helped rebuild Eden and the sectors. And she's just now noticing how empty that is, how there's like no place to go for the spa, no place to buy something nice. You can get liquor, but very little, you know, it's, and she's sort of seeing that this is not going to work in a post Eden world. Yeah. She needs to find a way to sort of, she does some research of like what little fun they need. And I love that in this story, the, cause in kind of every story, especially those that take place after the war, we get a different aspect of like what recovery kind of looks like or what a different couple's recovery kind of looks like. And I love that in this story, it, the thing that's missing is the, is the fun. Mia feel, you know, turns out Jim Jernigan for all of his goods and his bads was very efficient already. So you get the feeling that they come in and they kind of tweak some things here and there, but really it was kind of already doing everything it needed to do. And so there's not a ton for them to do. And it just is, like you said, so clean. There's no community. The black market is secretly controlled by the people in charge. Everything is very clean and very um, kind of sterile. There's no place for people to go to be themselves, which is interesting because they bring it up both from like a tactical standpoint of like there's nowhere to go to hear what people on the streets are actually saying. And also there's nowhere to go for people to have any fun. And if they can't have it here... They're either go somewhere else to get it or someone else will bring it in to make a profit from it. Yeah, no. So I, I thought it was really interesting that what she decides to reinvent is libraries. Uh, <laughs> Can yeah, you hear both of us gonna, just like know, grinning into our microphones? It's such I know, a good it's choice. Like, Yay. Thank you for making me a librarian. Uh, <laughs> and I love that even in like, especially in this world, she doesn't just want libraries for like books or for like media checkout she wants it as like a community community center center. and a a gathering place which is so much more so what libraries are becoming and have been and need to continue to be and for you know the efficiency profit focused mia it's also not a profit center it's gonna be a uh financial loss that it's actually an investment in community um so i really love that that they that yeah they're gonna invite some of the O'Kanes to come in and put in a spa, bring in some people to do entertainment and do all that kind of stuff. But like their gift 
and their centerpiece for community building will be a gathering place for people to sort of freely exchange knowledge and ideas and uh, just be with each other. So yeah, I love that. And I love that in a in a you know both of us being bookish people and library people specifically, you know, there's always and still that conversation about digital reading and physical reading and the differences and the overlap and doing one versus the other. And I love that we're getting a library that can still exist and does still exist in this highly technological space and in this space where paper books are less and less a thing but are not completely non-existent. And so I just thought it was a really great kind of, not allegory, but a really great kind of representation of what it can look like to still have this institution that serves so many different purposes while embracing and not denying like that change has and will continue to happen. Yeah, and so much is about giving access and to also to people things that have been controlled and not been open, which I feel is going to be a nice tie-in to the Mercenary Librarians books that will be coming from Donna and Bree later on next year. Uh, so, so I was like, no spoilers, oh, well. guys, not to brag, but we both read it and it's so good. Um, I so want Mia to meet them now. I'm like, okay, they got to hook up and start a consortium. Uh. <laughs> maybe, maybe one of the libraries they stop at will be this new, soon to exist library in eight. <laughs> in sector eight, yeah. <laughs> oh, swoon. Literally, my only notes just say a fucking library, and then I wrote swoon with like a million hearts by it because I love it so much. Mine That's my like, highly yeah, intelligent writing. Libraries, capitals. <laughs> I know, because like it's one of those things where it's like I like you kind of like you kind of see it coming, and but then like you're like, is are we are we doing this? And then she just says a library, and you're like, oh my god, yes. Like nerd victory fist, it felt so good, but I think that's our main takeaway from efficient. Is yeah, we I mean, love like, there's libraries. cute little things like Ford has gone grayer, and she knows exactly what he thinks of a particular thing he's reading by the grunts he makes by himself. So the, you get that domesticity, but yeah, it's really about libraries. Yeah, it's really just about the library. <laughs> uh, but the next story we're going to talk about, uh, do you want to let us, do you want to go take us yeah, through Fierce so Protector? Yeah, so the next story is called Fierce Protector, and it's another Jenny Hawks story with uh, some Finn and some Faith, which is Hawks' sister. Um, and it's really, uh, Hawk is in a puppy hunting uh, adventure. He's going to find a puppy for Jenny because she has mentioned that's something she wants. Uh, I love Hawk's family. We get so many different family units and specifically sibling units over the course of reading the Beyond books and then even more so in the Gideon's Rider books. But like there's something about the easy camaraderie and the kind of taking the piss out of each other way that Hawk has interacted with what we've seen of his family so far that most reminds me of like my own family unit. And so I just really loved getting to see that again and getting to see Hawk's sisters kind of step out on their own because we've never really gotten them their like POV specifically, but we've been kind of watching on the sidelines with them in the background stepping out. So getting to see Faith on her new farm was a nice like kind of thing to see. Right. And it's also a farm across the way from where they're all at. So, you know, when Hawk's family left six, they came into the like reaches of four and parts of three and um they're but she's actually like in a corner of the wind farms on seven and because pe- basically people who are like hey there's all this land now on six left seven to go basically to where they couldn't return because they can't go back to their ashes um and so she's rebuilding and building her own space away from everybody and I mean, there's that emotional thing where he drives through Eden 
rather than cutting across sex because it's so emotional. Just, I mean, just thinking about what that means and having to weigh the two evils there and how how much awfulness Eden represents and to still choose that. I mean, I don't blame him and probably would as well. But yeah, that's in a couple sentences, a big old punch to the gut. <laughs> yeah, you really get a sense of like, yes, this is how people are moving forward, but there's still hurts and there's still things that they will deal with. There's repercussions and consequences. And I'm, I mean, yeah, it's a cute story about ador- adopting a little corgi. Um, and uh, it's a corgi. Anybody who's about- been watching the most recent season of Queer Eye, <laughs> Anthony and I have the same spiritual passion for corgis. And I love that it's, I love that they have the conversation about how like the reason that there are these puppies to be adopted is because the dogs that people want and are actively seeking in this community are like the dog Faith has is I think isn't it a great Big Pyrenees dog? Yeah, yeah, it's like a huge, like it's a huge dog, and they want like these huge protector farm dogs. Yeah. yeah, and so, but nobody wants this squat, cute little sausage dog corgi, and so there's like all these puppies, and so I just that was a really because you know it's a thing you wouldn't necessarily think to think about but there would be a difference in the kinds of pets and dogs and things that people were going to be wanting in this like new environment and corgis probably would not be at the top of the list but it's the perfect little dog for a hawk and jenny especially for hawk who's like thinking jenny's pregnant and doesn't want her knocked down or uh pushed around by big dogs so yeah so there's that also that element of like this cute little thing that yet another step in that relationship, you know, how many traditional relationships, you know, they get married and they adopt a puppy and then they have a baby. <laughs> so they they follow that track yet again. Um, and it's very interesting because at this exact moment that we see them, they have not told the O'Kanes yet. And so this is an interesting, this is, I think, one of the few times we're able to see a couple who know that they're going to have a baby, but haven't told the rest of the group yet. So they're still kind of navigating how to do that and figuring out how everyone's going to react but, and all I mean, of that. As Jenny says, you put a cradle <laughs> in our living room. <laughs> yeah, fair <laughs> enough. It's not going to yeah. be a surprise to anyone. <laughs> yeah, subtle is not what they were being. That's very fair. No. <laughs> so yeah, it's so another cute little moment, but with a lot of world building, a lot of... Um, What's happened next? How are people moving forward? What's this world looking like? And I think it's that story. Then this next one we're going to talk about that I think I've done the most like really heavy lifting when it comes to world building and such a such a short amount of time in these vignettes. The next one we're going to talk about is a little bit bad, which is a Zan and Tatiana vignette where uh, Tatiana is in her new shop front in Eden waiting for a shipment of supplies to come in and Zan is there bringing her food and help. he came to help unload the truck but he's not just there to help her unload the truck so they think the shipment's going to be late and start fooling around and unfortunately the shipment is right on time um, but it's a very in, like not only do I love Tatiana as one of my like ride or die favorite heroines in this universe but the commerce side of things and the kind of discussions of the way her business has changed and what that means about the world building are really kind of fascinating to think about the implications of. Yeah, like there's a line where she talks about um, how different a year before the idea that a truck would be arriving with all the supplies she needs, how it would have blown her mind. And now she's annoyed that it arrives on time. Um, That's such a moment of like, yeah, the 
the scar scarcity and the reaching that they had to do all the time in the sectors that's different now um yeah are there still things that people can't get or they're trying to get yeah but it's it's it, they're working in a whole different environment they're not dealing with this arbitrary government that is um limiting things so yeah it's an interesting thing for especially for tatiana who her shop is her livelihood is her identity it's her f sense of freedom um and you really get a sense that she feels secure and not just in her business but also in her relationship with zan the fact that he shows up without her asking just conveniently there to unload because he knows that she still can't ask you know she she can't say come help me unload he just shows that he knows what she needs by being there that's again another like beautiful relationship moment that's tied up in commerce is tied up in the world building that you know there's been moments where he's wanted to be there and it's been called away so now you know he gets to be there when her shipment arrives and the thing i the thing i've always wanted and i'm so glad to continue to see happen is that tatiana is able to get both right like her hea is having both and she's able to have this emotionally caring, sexually fulfilling relationship with Zan while still holding on to her business and doing the thing that she wants to do most in this world, which is make soap, sell her products, become an entrepreneur, fill this space and make a living for herself. I love that this vignette starts with her talking about how there's such a difference between when she was a little girl and she was, quote, rich by the sector standards versus now what it means having wealth at her hands on an Eden level entrepreneur standards and just the kind of uh, ripple effects of the different types of wealth and even within communities, what that can mean. And so it's interesting to see that she's really kind of taken off and adapted in not a way that's not necessarily surprising knowing who Tatiana is, but it's just refreshing to see continue as they all settle into this new kind of world dynamic. So yeah, so just a cute little moment and then she gets to be all flustered and uh, uh, red faced when she greets her uh, shipment and knows there's a promise of some fun times ahead. I just love that. I, I love, love that Zan doesn't know what a croissant is. Like he comes out, he's like, what's a croissant? <laughs> What's all this fancy bread? What is this? And she's that like, it's fine. Me, there's a moment too that also talks about the enduring, that you can still have trauma and a happy ending. Because when he walks in, there's that moment of tension of who's in my shop. Uh, because it's unexpected. And she has that sort of like, <gasps> and then his voice comes through and she can relax. But it's a reminder that you you can still have trauma, you can still have after effects, and that doesn't preclude you having a happy ending and having a, a beautiful life. So I love that, that there's that moment too. This is not a Tatiana who is without scars. She has scars, but she is still living her best life. Absolutely. And thank you for mentioning that. That's a really beautiful moment because those are, you know, some scars don't go away. Some actions will never change regardless of how the context and circumstances around them change. And you just get that feeling that Tatiana will hopefully spend literally the rest of her life in this new circumstance, but will probably always reach for the knife in her boot if she hears a door open and she's not already she's expecting who who's coming in behind it. Yeah. Um, do you want to yes. take us through our last one? Yeah, so our last story, and this is the one that's still behind a paywall. This is Flash. 
unlike all the other stories we've talked about, which take place post Beyond Surrender, around the Beyond Forever timeline, this is actually back in the period after Beyond Pain. So if you are someone who has not read uh, the later books in the series, um, or who has... um, uh, not had a chance to read the story, you might want to say goodbye to us now uh, and rejoin us when you get a chance to read this. But this is Flash's story. Um, Flash and Amira um, were the first couple whose baby we celebrated in the series. And this is a moment where they're like about four or five weeks out from having their baby and they're just enjoying that baby time together. Uh, of course, Flash is one of the casualties of the war. Um, And so especially sort of bittersweet to see this family time because it's so much about him wanting to be a father, wanting to be there for his wife and and their baby. And we know that their time is going to be brief. Oh, man, friends. I cried so hard the first time I read the story. And then most recently I read the story. Uh, seven weeks postpartum, just a flood with baby hormones, and I ugly cried so intensely. It is, um, it's intense, friends. It is always intense, I think, to read a story from the perspective of somebody who we already know um, is past, and to be back in their heads in a time to live in that dissonance of we know what's coming while they don't. And the emotional impact that can have. Um, There's a section near the end of this vignette when Flash is talking about how, about all the things he's not. You know, he's not as uh, artistic as Ace. Ace. He's not as brave as Cruz or he's not as kind as as Rachel or as fierce as, you know, he lists all these different people. And he ends up saying he's just a foot soldier. He's just a member of this family who wants to keep his brother safe and keep being a member of this family. And it's just... Because we know that him and Amira and Hannah and their family unit is such an example and such a beacon and such a a breaker of hope. We see so many of these couples in later books reference Flash and Amira and baby Hannah as a reason or a glimpse of a thing that could continue to be that like Flash is so much more than that. And so to not to hope and to hope that he comes to realize by the time he passes that he's not just anything that he's as, you know, fully in this family as anything. And to, to know how good a dad he is to Hannah, I just did a character justice, I think. And even if he has that self-awareness of, like, he's not as brilliant than so-and-so or strategically whatever, but that his value and importance is in that little room, in that little connection. So, yeah, he wants to be the person that brings joy to Amira's face and that makes Hannah feel safe. So, yeah, that's what kills me because we know he's not going to be able to do that. Um, but he did it for as long as he could. And he he did it. And that's the thing is, is when he was able to do it, he did it. Um, I do think it's interesting. We don't know a ton about Flash and Amira. We meet them in book one as already an established couple. Amira's already pregnant. And then they give birth to Hannah and kind of fade into the background a little bit just because they're off with their baby setting up their family unit and stuff and so I I loved getting to hear even just that little bit of what their story was like and that he was kind of this rough and tumble bootlegger and she came in from outside the district and and while there aren't like a lot of specifics we've read enough stories in this beyond universe that we can kind of piece it out and I really liked getting to 
flesh out a little bit more of that that backstory behind the two of them. Yeah, we've gotten little pieces of their story in little segments. Like I know in Beyond Surrender, we get a little bit where Nessa and Amir uh, talk a little bit about how surprising the Flash's sort of commitment to her had been. Uh, but here we get a little bit of how he had to fight to not run over Amira because Amira is doing the whole like has a little shitty apartment outside the compound and having to have her go there at night um, and and how much more it means that he can protect her now, you know, kind of stuff. So there's that protective side. And we always see him like he's trailing after Nessa. Uh, he is, you know, protecting other people who are important and valuable. So his protectiveness is such a central part of his character. And we see it so centered in his family in this, this little bit. And it's just such a, there's so much vulnerability that comes in that moment where they're at late at night caring for this new child, especially when we know that this is a world where that is a new thing, especially in this community and for these people. And so the combination of getting to see them in this incredibly vulnerable moment while also having him reflect on their past and what his goal for the future is it's it's just a it's just a difficult read and it's so beautiful and it hits so hard in what is a relatively short like number of words yeah and I mean it but it's yeah it's so intimate you're there with him at night Amir is sleeping the baby has woken and he talks about how much he has learned from six um how six has been sort of being like a a fairy godmother of sorts telling them like what this cry means or you know what to do to make sure that the baby's comfortable and what like it, she's like a baby interpreter for them and how they're learning to be parents and that's just again another element of the O'Kanes right there's all these people who are learning to build family who are sharing their knowledge who are doing this as a village as a group and for me I think you know this is this is setting up the mode that all the other families that are being born out of the O'Kanes are going to form, you know, you know that Noel and Jazz are not raising little Declan Alexander on his own, on their own. Ace, Cruz, Rachel are raising their babies in a circle of the community. And it's where they're all sharing this knowledge, this community in this time. Um, so, yeah. So to me, that's, it's just, and I think that's also a reminder that, as sad as it is to end us knowing where, what happens to Flash, we also know that Mira is not alone. She has the O'Kanes. And it's just, we've talked before, I think in the last episode, a little bit about, a, like you said, that uh, with Six and with Jess and people who, the difference between being good with babies and being good with family. Um, and I think this is not only a good vignette to kind of round out the O'Kane stories with not to say that Brandon are done by any means but really this feels like a nice kind of close to this specific character and storyline and, and part of the healing within this kind of unit and so much of that is Flash's discussion of family and the importance of family and, and throughout these books that found family bond and the creation of a family that works for you by working for the entire community and I just yeah, I just feel like that's like that's the goal, right? Like when all of when all of us fans talk about the bisexual love army, like that's that's the actual goal, right? Is like is that sense of community support and 
love and honor and acknowledgement Acceptance regardless of flourishing there's these that's why I love these little stories because it's about showing people as they're thriving in the world that they remade uh, so they could live together, you know. Oh, man, friends. Well, not the cheeriest note to leave it on, <laughs> but a beautiful, a beautiful story, a really beautiful, touching, um, I think really meaningful end to that particular character's little mm-hmm. storyline um, yeah. and to our podcast today. Uh, we will be back uh, in a couple weeks to talk about Beyond Doubt. Beyond Doubt and Beyond Forever. Forever. Okay. Which are the last two um, shorts that we have not talked about yet that are set within the Beyond universe specifically, like within the Sector 4 characters we've met. And then after that, we will be officially hopping over to Sector 1. So we will be reading Ashwin, which is the first of the Gideon's Rider books. So if you have not hopped on over there yet, you do not need to have read the Beyond books first. It's fun. It's helpful to have that like added layer, but you do not need to have read these. You can go in completely blind. So if you have friends, family, colleagues, coworkers, anybody who maybe wants to join us but hasn't read the Beyond books yet, now would be a good time. Because we're hopping on over. Uh, but yeah, do you want to tell them in the meantime where they can come and find us, Anna? Yeah, come find us at beyondthesectors.com and on Twitter, Beyond Sectors. I'm on Twitter at An Outlaw Life. And I'm there as Anna Koki. And uh, until next time, friends, take care of yourselves, take care of each other, and we'll see you beyond the sectors. Bye, guys. Bye. <laughs>